Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Ed Griffinagan. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail, and we are super thankful that y'all are here this morning. Lots of places that you could be, but the Lord has brought you here, uh, <clears throat> I think, to, to hear a message from him this morning. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you, uh, how many of you do this? You're, you're going somewhere that you've never been. Say you're driving from, you're driving from here to Little Rock, Arkansas. I don't know why I picked Little Rock, but I did. You're, you're driving to Little Rock, Arkansas. You get in the car and you say, you know, take me to 3544 Evergreen Drive, Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, and you hit go. So how many of you do this? You, you, you zoom out. I don't have my phone with me, but your, your, whatever app you have, uh, match your course between Columbus and Little Rock, and then you zoom out and you look at the whole thing. You look at the whole thing from Columbus all the way over to, to Little Rock. How many of y'all do that? Raise your hand. Like, because you want to you, you wanna see the, the whole picture first. You want to see from can to can, from A to Z, from the beginning to the end. You want to get a picture of that whole thing. I do it every single time we go anywhere. If I'm going... Because Susan ostracizes me because I'll use the map thing to get me to Target. But, uh, but the bottom line is I want to see that whole little image um, first. Because I know that if I can see the big picture first, then, then I can get down to the details and, and track along as, as long as I have some good sense of where it is that I'm headed. And y'all, I think it is that way very much when we with Scripture. When we... Uh, understand or can understand the significance of a book of the Bible. If It's a whole lot, when we can see the big picture of a book, it's a whole lot easier then to dig into the, to the details of the book. With that said, I am super stoked today that we're starting a new series, and we're starting a, a new series that's going to be part of a larger series uh, as we walk verse by verse through the book of Acts. This first series is called Expectancy. It's called expectancy because there's a lot. It's Acts chapter one. <clears throat> it's a there's a lot of anticipation in Acts chapter one. There's a lot of expectancy in there. So that's what we're going to do for the next I don't know few weeks. We're going to be in Acts one, and then we're going to walk all the way through the entire book of Acts. And I, there's something else that we're going to do today, and I want to expose y'all to something else during this series. You know, the translation that I have used for a long time, um, as I'm preaching, the translation that I use from here typically has been the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, English Standard Translation of Scripture. I usually will read four or five different, uh, maybe seven or eight different translations as I'm prepping for a message, but typically I'm preaching out of the ESV, sometimes the New King James, sometimes the King James, but mostly it is the ESV. Today, I want to introduce you to a relatively new, last 25 years or so, translation called the Complete Jewish Bible, the CJB. Uh, several of you have told me, and I've had one for a while, <clears throat> electronically and in, in print, but several of you have told me that, you, that you're using it and that you really, really love it. So I want to tell you briefly, as we're getting ready to jump in this message, a little bit about it. Uh, it's extremely culturally relevant uh, to, to, the, to the times that Scripture uh, were written. One of the major issues that you got to understand is that all of the human writers, except maybe one, they all of them 
were Jewish. The Bible was written into a primarily into a Jewish culture. The primary location uh, was in and around the Jewish promised land. Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah. In fact, the, the whole concept of Messiah is really is a Jewish concept. John chapter 4 verse 22, you know, says that salvation is from the Jews. The Lord's Supper is rooted in the Jewish Passover. Baptism is a Jewish practice. The new covenant itself was promised by the Jewish prophet Jeremiah. And another super important uh, issue is this, that Jesus' death on the cross is rooted in the Jewish sacrificial system. So this translation of the Bible, and you do got to understand, Scripture was not written in English. New Testament written in Greek, Hebrew, uh, the Old Testament written uh, in Hebrew and Aramaic. So any translation that we use on some level is an interpretation because somebody's deciding what this Greek word mean, means or what this Hebrew word means because it was, you know, contrary to popular notion, King James did not write the Bible. It was written in Hebrew and written in Greek. But this translation is a super readable translation, but there are some Hebrew words and names here and there, and we'll, I'll deal with that uh, when they show up. So let's jump in. I, you know what? Before we jump in, let me pray. Lord, as we kick off this series today that we're going to be in for a while, uh, as we walk verse by verse through the birth of your church, Lord, as we walk verse by verse through the book of Acts, Lord, we'd ask you to be here to, to guide us, to direct the conversation. Lord, as we talk through... Uh, one of the newer translations of scripture. Lord, that you would be in the middle of all of that. Lord, that you would, your presence, your Holy Spirit would just be here to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. We love you in Jesus' name. So look, verse one, verse one of, of Acts one will get us started. And Luke writes, dear Theophilus, in the first book, I wrote about everything Yeshua, that's the Hebrew, uh, that's Jesus, that was Jesus' name. He didn't hear them say Jesus, he heard them say Yeshua, because that's the Hebrew, and he was a Jew, and he spoke Hebrew, so it's Yeshua. I wrote about everything Yeshua set out to do and to teach, so Luke writes, the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes Acts. Luke is a writer, Luke is a historian, and so here in this first, first verse, when he says, I wrote about, in this first book, he's talking about his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, he's talking about that book, so that was uh, the first book that he wrote, and he sent this book, this letter, ultimately, probably, to this guy named Theophilus, which means lover of God. Some theo theologians, they, they believe that it's a rhetorical device, that there was no one named Theophilus, that it's just like to look that way. I, I don't, and that's okay. I just don't buy it. I think he wrote this to a guy named Theophilus. And so that first book... This first thing that Luke writes is about what Jesus began to do and to teach, about what he began to do and to teach. And that is important because Luke writes volume one, the gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then the book of Acts, volume two, is about the continued doing and teaching of Jesus. Think about it, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Tell the story of what he began to do and teach and tell the story about the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. Jesus says to the Father in John chapter 17, he says, I glorified you in verse 4. He says, I glorified you 
on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. You gave me some tasks, the Father, Jesus says the Father, and I finished while I was here, I finished the work that you gave me to do. And then he, when he's on the cross, according to John 19, just before he gives up his life, in chapter 19 of, of the Gospel of John, verse 30, he says, it is accomplished or finished. Some of your translations say it is finished. It's accomplished. So the four Gospels tell us about the finished work of Christ, the long-expected sacrifice for sin that absolutely, totally satisfies God's justice. That work is done. When he said it is accomplished or it is finished on the cross, that's what he's talking about. So this guy, this Jesus, by sacrificing and offering himself, he forever, forever saved those who believe. And he secures their redemption by walking out of the grave alive three days later. Nothing can be added to that finished work. He says it is finished. Nothing else can be added to that work that he came to accomplish. And so with that finished work, he purchases this huge spectrum of redeemed people throughout all of human history. And all of these people will forever praise and honor and bring glory to his name. That's the work that Jesus finishes. But then it's also the work that he began. And you're thinking, well, how can it be the work he finished? But it's also the work that he began. Well, the work of proclaiming the gospel, of teaching the kingdom, of living the kingdom was only beginning at the end of Matthew, at the end of Luke, at the end of Mark, at the end of John. And maybe, maybe we could say that, uh, that he began his ministry by collecting the elect, that he began his ministry by collecting all of those who believe. And you know, by the time he ascends into heaven, at the end of Luke, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and at the beginning of Acts, there was just a small number of people. There was just a small number of people that were saved. And they're all in this one, in this one little tiny country sandwiched between North Africa and Asia. There's 120 of them that are gathered in this upper room in Jerusalem. And there's several hundred more in Galilee, and that's the beginning that's the beginning. That's what Jesus began when the Bible says it's what he began to do and teach. Now Luke's second volume, the second book, Acts, Acts is a story of what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And it is the second volume, but it's also the very first book of church history. So Luke's gospel, like the other ones, tell the story of the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So the Old Testament provides the prophecies of the coming of a Messiah, of the coming of Christ, and the Gospels record the fulfillment of those prophecies. So God's plan in the Old Testament comes to realization in the New Testament. His plan in the Old Testament comes to realization in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I want to read you the first four verses from volume one. The first four verses from the Gospel of Luke. Now think about this. This is at the very beginning of Luke. It says, Dear Theophilus, concerning the matters that have taken place among us, many people have undertaken to draw up accounts based on what was handed down to us by those who from the start were eyewitnesses and proclaimers of the message. Therefore, your excellency, since I have carefully investigated all these things from the beginning. And so Luke is a meticulous guy. He says, I've carefully investigated all these things from the beginning. It seemed good to me 
that I too should write you an accurate and ordered narrative so that you might know how well-founded are the things about which you have been taught. How well-founded, he's talking about accuracy and, and a, an ordered narrative and so that you would know how well-founded the things that you've been taught. So that phrase, to know how well-founded these things are, some translations say to know the truth. Some translations say um, uh, to know for certain. So Luke is a meticulous historian. And Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so he starts off, Luke, he's writing this one long history. And what is the goal of this history? Truth is the goal of the history. Truth. Truth is not relative. You cannot have a truth and me have a truth and they disagree with each other. That, that I don't get to make up the truth. Luke's goal was to write, and I believe that he's writing to Theophilus. I believe it was a, was a guy that he either had recently led to Christ or was in the process of leading to Christ. And so he's, he's putting together an ordered narrative, a historically accurate, truthful narrative, and he's writing it to this guy named Theophilus. He has no idea that what he's writing is going to end up being called the gospel according to St. Luke. He has no idea that it's going to end up being called the book of Acts. The names of these books, y'all, are not inspired. The text of the scripture is. So he doesn't know that. He's just providing, Luke is, absolute certainty of the facts of redemptive history. Providing full assurance to believers like Theophilus and others and me and you. And this full assurance that he is providing us is for what? It's that God's promise of salvation was being fulfilled. That was the gospel of Luke. So Acts continues this um, this, this. This story of the well-founded things, the things that he wants us to know for certain, of the exact truth of God fulfilling Old Testament prophecy was coming to, to, to fruition with the coming of the Messiah. And subsequently with that Messiah, Jesus Christ, with his crucifixion, with his resurrection, and with his ascension. And God continues to fulfill this story in Luke uh, Luke writes in Acts with the very same precision that he says he's writing with or, uh, in, in Luke. Well, why is he doing that? To provide me and you with certainty. Certainty for what? So that you will know for certain that you will have well-founded reasons to know and to believe. The Lord doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door. He doesn't. He, Luke provides us with well-founded reasons to know and to understand with our minds. Paul talks about uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Luke writes so that we would know for certain about the things that we've been taught. Now the end of Luke's gospel, the end of the gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, Jesus opens up their minds to understand scripture. And so he says in verse uh, 46 of chapter 24, he says the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name... Repentance leading to forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to people from all nations, starting with Yerushalayim. That's Jerusalem. It's one of those words that you're gonna that's gonna show up in the CJB kind of in, in Hebrew. Verse 48, he says, You are witnesses of these things. Now I'm sending forth upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been equipped with power from above. That's how volume one ends. That's how Luke's gospel ends. And then volume two begins with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit promised in Luke and comes in the book of Acts. 
Just like the Old Testament promised the Messiah, and he comes in the Gospels. So these early readers of these books are being taught that the prophets and the apostles spoke truth. They spoke truth. Spoke truth. This is a precise history. Y'all, you can read you can read Acts, and you can know that yes, it is a it is a history, and it is an accurate history. And the the events that take place in Acts, you can trust that those events actually took place. And this is super assuring for the readers uh, of Scripture, and it's super assuring for us. The Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would would show up, and the work would continue on. So volume volume one, the Gospel according to Luke. It runs with certainty from Jesus' birth to his ascension. And then volume 2, the book of Acts, with certainty from his ascension to the coming of the Holy Spirit, to the birth of the church, and to the gospel being proclaimed in the entire world. Just like in the Old Testament, everything that's going on in Luke and in Acts is, is unfolding from God. He is the sovereign power that is undergirding all of redemptive history. And the Spirit works the will of the Father. And the Son does the will of the Father. And God is at work redeeming His people in the New Testament just like He did in the Old Testament. As a little bit of an aside, let me ask you this. So what do we, what do we, call, what do we call this book? You probably would know it as the Acts of the Apostles. If you're sitting there with a Bible, the title of the book probably says the Acts of the Apostles. And, but we could call it the Acts of the Father. Because it seems like if anybody's unfolding, rolling out a plan, it would be the Father. We could, we could argue that it ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit for sure. And you can make a case that it ought to be the Acts of the Risen Lord because that's the theme of the preaching all throughout the book. There was a guy named Alan Thompson who wrote a, uh, wrote a commentary on Acts. And he names, and I like his name better than any of them, he calls it, the acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. The acts of the Lord Jesus, and that'd take two lines probably if you were to write that out. The acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Now let me ask you this. Do you see Jesus himself involved in this book? Well, the answer is of course we do. He reigns over his kingdom from heaven. He's engaged in building his church by adding people to the list of the redeemed. He's fulfilling the Father's plan. He's doing it by the preaching of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit with his people. So the Lord is for sure continuing the work that he began. The gospel is preached. Sinners are saved. The church is born. Leaders are chosen, believers are encouraged, witnesses are given for Christ, and all the while, while, while believers are suffering for their efforts and, and being rejected by the world, but the Lord is protecting them. Well, why is he protecting them? So that the gospel can be preached and the elect will be gathered. That's the history of the church, y'all, until Jesus comes back. That was the history in the first century. That's the history in the 21st century. I want you to know something else, too. The gospel is universal. This is going on in this little country sandwiched again between North Africa and Asia. In Israel, this little country. But the gospel is universal. It goes beyond there. Even Jesus' guys, his own disciples, 
They were a little stuck on the fact that all of God's promises were theirs and maybe even were theirs alone. They had this typical attitude of the Jews of that day towards the Gentiles of that day. And if you remember, a Gentile was just somebody that wasn't a Jew. So the Jews were super stuck on this that the promises belonged to them. Well, the book of Acts blows all of that completely up. Just a few minutes into Acts and you see uh, Philip, who's one of Jesus' guys, preaching to Gentiles. A Gentile, you see a, a Gentile eunuch saved. You see Peter preaching the gospel to an army dude named Cornelius, who was a Gentile. After Jerusalem, the first church in Jerusalem, after that you see uh, the, a church uh, rise up and be built in Antioch, a Gentile city called Antioch. And then we see Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles all over that whole Mediterranean world. And that'll lead ultimately to a discussion in Acts chapter 15. This whole Jew-Gentile thing. How does that all kind of work? How does the, 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 the Jews thinking and believing that the promises were theirs alone and then the Gentile thing? Some of them said that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and become Jewish before they could then be saved. And it's such a hard sell to many of the Jews that Gentiles could actually be saved that when the first Gentile salvations happen, God allows the same miracle that happens at Pentecost, which is the miracle of tongues, he allows that to happen when the first Gentiles get saved so the Jews don't think that, that, that this other thing was a second-rate event. So y'all, that's a flyover kind of, of, of Acts other than the end, and the book ends with Paul in prison. And so Luke stops there. And it's a pretty abrupt ending in, in, in the book of Acts. Pretty abrupt ending. And Luke had lived through the, the middle of 30 miraculous years from Jesus' resurrection to Paul being in jail. And he lived in those, those 30 years of the first fulfillment of the Great Commission by the very first troops of apostolic preachers to the point where churches are established and born and the next generation of leaders are, are, are put in place by putting elders in those churches. In fact, Luke writes this history that starts out in Jerusalem and it ends with the gospel penetrating into Rome, which was kind of the capital almost of the whole world at the time. I like to feel like this 30-year time span is one where Jesus continues his work that was ordained by the Father he continues his work that was ordained by the Father that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and it's brought to fruition by the apostles' preaching of the gospel. Y'all, this book of Acts has everything in it. It has supernatural interventions. It's got mind-blowing miracles. It's got crazy, powerful preaching. Skin of the teeth escapes. It's got you know harrowing journeys and life and death kind of decisions being made. Courtroom dramas in Acts rescues, action, mystery, all crazy adventure. Acts will, will grab your attention. It'll trigger your imagination. It'll tug at your heartstrings and your emotions. It is an incredible story, and it is 100% historically accurate and true. It is. So that was about a 20-minute introduction, kind of fly over Acts. Let's jump in to the first five verses. That's what we're going to go through today. Again, he says, Dear Theophilus, in the first book I wrote about everything Yahshua set out to do and teach. 
We already talked at length about verse 1. Verse 2, until the day when after giving instructions through the Ruach HaKodesh, that's the Holy Spirit, that's Hebrew for Holy Spirit. Ruach is spirit, and HaKodesh is the word holy. To the emissaries whom he had chosen, he was taken up into heaven. Taken up, he ascended to the Father. So Jesus worked and he taught until he was taken up, until he ascended back into heaven. He, he was faithful and he used everything that he had for his Father until his work on the earth was completed, until it was all accomplished. And I'm going to tell you this, if you're a Christ follower in here today, you should be using your gifts for the Lord every day until you go to heaven. There's an amen, no doubt. You and I are disobedient if we are not using the giftings, that the things that he has given us, talents, skills, abilities that all get put together in the gifts of, of the Spirit if we're not using them every day for him. Y'all, there is no retirement from trying to reach a world so desperately in need. Y'all get that? There is no retirement from the gospel. There is no retirement from using your gifts to lead a, a desperately lost and dying world to the foot of the cross. And so Jesus worked and he taught through the Holy Spirit. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He had, had to surrender himself and make himself available to the Spirit. Just think, if Jesus himself is so dependent on the Holy Spirit, how much more are me and you? How much more do we need to make ourselves available to him? How much more do we need to submit our lives and submit everything that we are to the Spirit? Make ourselves available to his gifts. Make ourselves uh, available to his power. Verse 3. After his death, talking about Jesus, after his death, he showed himself to them. Gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. During a period of 40 days, they saw him and he spoke with them about the kingdom of God. That word proofs there. That word proofs uh, really refers to incontrovertible, black and white, absolute, certain facts. Absolute, certain proofs. Decisive evidence is what Luke's talking about. He was not some illusion. When they saw Jesus walking around for 40 days, he was not some ghost. He was not some illusion. He was not some hologram. He was real and he was risen. So, so Luke's talking about these are solid, visible, undeniable proofs of the fact that he was alive. It was a fact that he was alive. And it's those proofs and the fact that he was alive that formed the very backbone, the very foundation of the apostles' witness. It was the very, very backbone, the very foundation of the preaching throughout the book of Acts. They spread the truths of Christ because they witnessed all of it. They were there. A guy named C.T. Craig said this. He said, the early Christians didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ because they couldn't find his dead body. They didn't believe in the resurrection because they couldn't find his dead body. They believed in the resurrection because they did find a living Christ. There's a difference in that. There's a big difference in that. There was a, it was a certainty that he was alive. Just as sure as I'm standing here, 
he was alive. Verse 4, at one of these gatherings, well, what one of these gatherings? Look back to verse 3. After his death, he showed himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. During those 40 days, it says he spoke with them about the kingdom. And then verse 4 says, at one of these gatherings, where he's talking about the kingdom, he instructed them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which you heard about from me. For Yochanan, who is John, in this case John the Baptist, used to immerse people in water, but in a few days you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus meeting with his disciples, and he's eating a meal with them. You know, holograms don't eat meals. Illusions don't eat meals. I'd like to think that he, in these 40 days, that he surely told them all kind of stuff during these get-togethers. All kinds of stuff. They probably got together every day. Luke just records a handful of sentences from those 40 days of instruction, but you know for 40 days he walked among them. You know they sat around the fire talking. You know that they met and they gathered. So these words that Luke records here, important words, these statements of Jesus loaded with significance. They kind of give you an outline of Acts. They give you a little bit of an outline of all of church history. And so Jesus told here his followers to stay in Jerusalem until the Father sends what he promised. And that points back to Luke chapter 24 that we read just a few minutes ago, verse 49. Jesus says, now I'm sending forth upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been equipped with power from above. He had spoken about this before. He spoke about it at the Last Supper in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I have told you these things. While I am still with you. Now remember, this is back in the Gospel of John. But the Counselor, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he tells them, he's going to teach you everything. And what is everything? It's everything that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you and remind you and convict you sometimes. He will remind you of everything Jesus says he says, I will tell you everything that I have said to you. It's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the text, illuminating Scripture. So this, this, this immersion that he's talking about in Acts, it's going to be a new kind of baptism. John the Baptist, John baptized with water, said Jesus, but these believers are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John the, baptize, uh, John the baptizer, he, his baptism was a sign of repentance. And you're going to read that in Scripture. These people had confessed their sins and they, uh, they had committed to, to live in the way that God wanted them to. John's God plunge, John's baptism, was an outward sign of commitment. For that outward sign of commitment, for it all to be effective though, it had to be accompanied by an inward change of attitude that led to a changed life. John's baptism did not provide salvation. There was nothing salvific about that water baptism. But at, when John baptized, it prepared a person to welcome the coming Messiah and to receive his message and to receive his baptism. Look what uh, John himself said in, in Matthew chapter 3. He says, It is true that I am immersing you in water so that you might turn from sin to God, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I. And he will immerse you in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and in fire. So who's the one coming after John the Baptist? Jesus. 
Jesus is the promised Messiah. The coming of the Spirit was always prophesied to be part of the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah tells us 800 years or so before this, he says, I will pour my spirit on your descendants, my blessings on your offspring. Jeremiah chapter 31, he says, here the days are coming, says Adonai. Adonai is the Lord. He says, I will put my Torah, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. All will know me, he says, from the least of them to the greatest because I will forgive their wickednesses and remember their sin no more. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel records this. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Y'all, all believers, those who would come later to Jesus Christ for salvation, they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fire of purification. And in the Greek, that's one event, that's not two events. The fire, fire always, virtually always in the Old Testament, um, foreshadows or denotes purification. And so he says that. This baptism would purify and would refine each believer. When Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the entire person is transformed by the power of that Spirit. It's the baptism brought by Christ himself when a believer is saved. It is the immersion of the of the believer into the Spirit of God and of the Spirit of God into the believer. Does that make sense? It's the immersion of the person into the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God into a believer. The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit convicts us sometimes. The, the Spirit leads us to understand truth. The Spirit illuminates the text of Scripture for us. The Spirit gives us the Holy Spirit gives us the right words to say in given situations, and he fills us with his power. Y'all, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus and his guys, his disciples, the apostles, they had a bunch of meetings where I'm sure several, several in these 40 days, several things happened. I am sure that he answered tons of questions, probably thousands of questions but from, from Peter, because that's just Peter's nature. I am, there's no doubt that those guys and, and ladies became in those 40 days totally convinced of the resurrection. They were with him every day. They were all in. There was no doubt about the resurrection after that time. In those 40 days, I believe they learned everything they could about the kingdom of God. I think Jesus just poured into them. He's the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet. So he's pouring into them about the kingdom of God. and, and and I, I believe they really learned and discovered the truth about their power source, the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that this is when all of them really began to get their arms around what being a Christ follower truly meant. Y'all, being a Christ follower has some major privileges, like some major privilege. Be, being immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh being immersed in the Holy Spirit, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, living with the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, praying before you pick up a Bible and start reading that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the text for you. Haven't you ever read something and you've read something in the Scripture five or six times and you just you prayed before you pick the Bible back up and, and you, you read something and all of a sudden 
you just kind of understand it. And you may have read it 37 times and not. That is the Spirit of God illuminating and bringing understanding into your mind and in your heart. So, so live in that way has some real, real privilege. I want to call the worship team back up to if y'all can hear me if you're out there or if you're in the green room. Let me give you, it's the only fill in the blanks in your worship guide today. Three big takeaways, I think, from today. And I know this was a different kind of message because we did a lot of setting the stage for the book of Acts. But the first thing is this. By reading the Bible, by digging into the text, we can sit. We get to sit. We have the honor and the privilege to sit with the resurrected Christ in his school of discipleship. Could there be a better school of discipleship than his school of discipleship? I don't think so, number one. Number two is this. By believing in him, we can receive his power through the Holy Spirit to be new people, to, to walk in the newness of life. You know, every time we baptize somebody, every time somebody takes a God plunge, we say the same thing You are buried when we dunk them. You're buried in the likeness of his death and you're raised to do what? To walk in the newness of life. And so by believing in him, you and I have the privilege of walking in the newness of life. There ain't no better privilege on the planet, y'all. We get to walk in the newness of life. Number two, number three is this. By joining with other Christians in Christ's church, in his church, we get to take part in doing his work. By locking arms with other believers, we are afforded the privilege of doing his work, of continuing his work on the earth. Y'all, you think about it. We get to go to his school. We get to get a master's from the master. Think about that. We get to go to his school of discipleship. We get to receive his power. And we get to have the honor of continuing his work. It's all about him. The book of Acts is all about him. It's all about him and the use of his people through his Holy Spirit. The preaching of his gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father. It's all, it's all about him. And you're going to see that unfold over the next several months as we walk through Acts. You're going to see a sovereign God use his people preaching his gospel about his son to a lost and dying world in the first century. And then it continues on and spreads around the world. Now, I'll say this. You want to go to his school of discipleship? You want to receive his power? You want to be have the privilege of continuing his work? Then you got to be in him. You got to be in him. That's this beautiful language that Paul uses when he writes to be in Christ. Well, what does that mean, y'all, to be in Christ? It means that you are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. Well, how's that happen? You ask. That's how that happens. You repent, you confess, and you believe, and you ask. This is just this simple, y'all. If you're watching online and you've never asked and you've never said yes to that offer, it is, I repent, turn away from my sin. Y'all close your eyes if you would, bow your heads. Lord, I repent of my sins. I turn away from them best I can, and I turn towards you. 
Lord, I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord and Savior, and I believe in my heart that you walked out of that grave alive. And by that belief, the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of me. And y'all, it is so cool. Lord, it is so cool that the Holy Spirit empowers me, helps me, comforts me, guides me. Lord, it's your Holy Spirit that allows me to push the temptation away for the sin. It's not Ed's power, Lord, it's your power living in me, your Holy Spirit living in me. So Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, y'all, if you're watching or if you're here and, and you actually and you said yes today and you asked him, you said, Lord, come change me and live in my life, live inside of me and save me. Please let us know on one of those connection cards. If you're watching, fill it out on an online connection card. Go to the connect tab on the website. Our prayer team is back here in the corner after, after our worship service. They would love to pray with you. If it's about salvation, awesome. But if it's just about something going on in your life, please go back there and let somebody pray with you. Find somebody. If you don't go back there, find me or find somebody just to talk to and, and to pray with you. I'll turn it back over to our worship team.